You know, there are many parts of the Bible that have kind of worked their way into the collective consciousness of people, you know, all around the world, whether they're religious or not, just stories and images that people, they know, even if they didn't grow up reading the Bible, even if you're not a Bible person today, there are these things that you know and understand that actually find their, their foundation and their root in the Bible. Stuff like the story of Jonah and the whale, the golden rule, David and Goliath, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. There are all these things from the scripture that people just kind of, they've accepted and soaked in over the millennia. And, you know, the Bible has shaped language and culture for more than 3,000 years. Again, even if you're not a religious or Bible person, there are things that are in the Bible that have really formed and shaped you into the person that you are today. And another one of those passages from the Bible that really has a life outside of the Bible is Psalm 23. It's, it's not only like the most famous of all the Psalms, there are like 150 Psalms, and Psalm 23 is the big one. Like it's the one that people know. Psalm 23 is actually in the top five most searched for passages online last year. People are going, they're drawn to uh, Psalm 23. And it's not really surprising that this passage is so beloved. I mean, it speaks of peace. It speaks of rest. It speaks of blessing and hope. And listen, those are all things that we need more of in our life. I could use some more blessing. I could use some more hope. I could use some more peace and rest. But here's the strange thing about Psalm 23. It might be the most misused or maybe the most misunderstood psalm or passage in the entire Bible. Now, nearly every time you've heard this passage read, it's been in one particular type of context. The setting is always the same anytime you hear Psalm 23. Anybody know what that is? When do we typically hear Psalm 23 read? Funerals, right? We see and hear it at funerals. That's because out of a dozen lines or so that are, uh, that are written here in this psalm, One of them speaks about the valley of the shadow of death. And so we're like, oh, death is in there. It must be a funeral psalm. But the irony is that this is not a a scriptural passage about death. It's actually a passage about life. It is a passage that teaches us what life can be if we are willing to fully submit and surrender to God. This is a a set of verses that describe what life can look like if we're willing to let God lead us. Rather than demanding control, rather than trying to dictate terms, rather than trying to decide for ourselves where we go, when we go, how we do it, all of those different things. If we were simply to surrender to God and let him shape and lead our life, what would it look like? Well, this, this kind of life is described here in Psalm chapter number 23. And so what I want to do for the next two weeks, we're going to do a mini-series. Normally, series around here are like, you know, four to six weeks, something like that. We're going to do a mini-series. We're going to spend two weeks here in the book of Psalms, and we're going we're gonna to do a, a sermon type that I do every so often. It's one of my favorite ways, but it's also one of the most dangerous ways, and you'll see why in a moment, because I really get bogged down in this. It's very easy for me to go over time, so I'm going to do everything I can to stay on time according to the clock that's there on the screen for us today. What we're going to do over the next two weeks is we're just going to go line by line straight through the passage, because there's so much depth, so much richness to this. And my hope is that by the time we get done, you're not going to see Psalm 23 just as pretty words. And listen, they are pretty. Like this is some of the the most beautiful language that's ever been created, particularly in English. But I don't want you to see this merely as pretty words. I want you to see this passage as powerful words. I want you to see this as like descriptive of what God wants for your life. 
I want you to see this as like, hey, this is what I should be experiencing and what I can experience if I were to allow God to lead me. So let's go ahead and dig in here. Psalm 23, the, uh, the opening video actually already read it for us out of the New Living Translation. So we're just going to jump right in, okay? The, the psalmist here, this is written by David. David and Goliath fame, David the king of Israel fame. Uh, He's the one who wrote this. These words were written about 3,000 years ago. So this is a really, really old piece of writing here. And uh, the psalm starts out with the statement, the Lord is my shepherd. Now I want to point out something to you about the Bible that you may have never, ever noticed before. Even people that have been in church for a very, very long time, I actually don't think you may, you may not know anyway what I'm about to tell you. If you pay really close attention here in this verse and in many verses throughout the Old Testament. In fact, almost all the verses in the Old Testament, when the phrase the Lord appears, you might notice that it's written in all capital letters. Do you see that? It's, it's well, not there because I wrote this. Sorry, that's on me. Uh, but if you read it in the actual Bible, hey, there's another reason to bring a copy of the scripture with you. But hey, um, When you read this in the scripture, it doesn't just say, the Lord is my shepherd. Like in the actual scripture, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Throughout the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, Lord is fully capitalized. The L, the O, the R, the D, it's like, boom, all caps, shouting at you, Lord. Why? Why is it? Is it just because God is so great and magnificent and awesome? Well, yes, but there's more to it than that. See, in the Bible, when the word Lord appears and it's all capitalized like it is here in Psalm 23, 1, this is actually a signal from the translators of the Bible. They're telling you something. What they're telling you is that the original author, in this case, David, when he was writing Psalm 23, he is using God's personal covenantal name whenever uh, that phrase, the Lord, appears here, all right? Did you know that God has a name? God has a personal name. His name is Yahweh. We'll talk about that in a second. You see it written here on the screen, Yahweh. Many of you don't know that God has a name. You, you just thought he was called God, right? You're like, God? That's his name. No, God is actually a general term that describes the type of being that he is, right? The, the equivalent would be like, addressing me as human, right? When Amber was up here a moment ago and she was like, um, now turn your eyes to the screen and welcome human to the stage as we kick off a brand new sermon series. That's what, like when you call the divine God, you are addressing uh, God by the type of being that he is. So you might think, okay, well, we also call him Lord. Lord is his title or role. It's what he does. He's the boss. He's the manager. He's the Lord over all of creation. So again, the equivalent would be addressing me as pastor. It's like, yeah, that's true. I am pastor, but my identity is more than just pastor. And you can't really sum up who God God is simply by calling him that generic term God, or even by calling him by his title or role, Lord. Instead, when we go all the way back to the book of Exodus, chapter number three, God reveals to a man named Moses, and by extension, every human throughout history, that he has a personal name. And that name is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. We threw in a couple vowels there so we would know how to pronounce it. It's Yahweh. In uh, like Germanic languages, they pronounce it as Jehovah, if you've ever heard that. Same word, just slightly different pronunciation on the letters there. That is God's personal name. So my personal name is Daniel. His personal name is Yahweh. Yahweh, Okay. 
Yahweh is God's name. He reveals himself to us individually, personally using his name. That name Yahweh, it actually means I am that I am, which kind of sounds like Popeye, I know, I am that I am. Anyway, he is the self-existent one. This is what the name really means. God's name, Yahweh, it means I exist, I am, I am that I am. And so this is super, super important here because David doesn't merely say, God is my shepherd in some general vague sense. He doesn't say, the Lord is my shepherd. He says, Yahweh is my shepherd. We live in a world today where concepts of God are very generic and vague and a little bit slippery, you know? When people talk about God, it's kind of like, yeah, which one? There are as many ideas about God as there are people that are here on earth. In fact, if we, if we could, we would all like to define God ourselves. You know, it's been said God created man in his own image, and then for millennia, man has been returning the favor, trying to create God in their own image. We would like to decide and define who God is and say, well, the God I believe in is, and we pick and choose. Like, we're like, oh, I like this description of God from the Bible. That, was, that sounds good. That fits me and what I believe and what I value. Yep. But I don't like some of the other things that are in here, particularly the Old Testament stuff. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take what I like, and I'm going to leave what I don't. And then I'm going to go to this religion over here. And I kind of like what they have to say about God. And so I'm going to take that. But some of the other stuff they write is just clearly not true. So I'm going to leave that. And oh, they have some interesting stuff over here. One time I read this book from a philosopher and he had this stuff to say. And so we start to cobble together these conceptions of who God is. We act as though we get the right to define what God is like. But how many of you guys know we don't get to, go, we don't get to define God? any more than we get to define other people. We can either accept or reject other people as they are, but we don't get to remake them after our own image. Can you imagine for just a moment, if Amber, you know, she's a massage therapist, she's got a lot of clients that come in and, you know, the clients are on their table and they're getting their back muscles all worked out and stuff. And uh, they say, so tell me about yourself. And she says, oh, you know, I've been married. I've been married for almost 20 years. My husband is amazing. He might be the best husband that anybody has ever had in the history of the world. He is over six feet tall. Mm. 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 And he loves watching chick flicks. It's like he can't get enough. We watch romance movies all the time. And listen, let me tell you, my favorite thing about him is that he sings more beautifully than Josh Groban. Like, it's just, I love listening to him sing. Listen, it doesn't matter how confidently she said those things. They're simply not true. Objectively, they're false. I am not six feet tall. I do not like chick flicks. And you do not want to hear me sing. Okay? She cannot remake her husband after an image that she prefers. But a lot of us want to do the exact same thing with God. David says, no, 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 no. It's not God, some generic idea. It's not who I think the Lord is. No, he uses God's personal name. He says, Yahweh is my shepherd. Yahweh is the one who's gonna make everything that we talk about in Psalm 23. All of it is possible. All of it is a reality. All of it has been my experience because I know God as he actually is. Not as people have said he is or not as I might hope that he is. Yahweh is my shepherd. 
He didn't make some Franken divine creation and say, this is my God and he is my shepherd. He lets God be God. We have to be willing and able to do the same thing. So let me ask you, when you think about God, when you talk about God, who are you talking about? Like you, individually, who are you talking about? Is it some God that you've cobbled together? Is it some God that your parents gave you or your old church gave you? Or is it Yahweh? Is it the God who's revealed in the Bible? And hear me now, if it's Yahweh, there are going to be some things that you're like, "Mm, I don't know about that. Well, that's okay. That's normal. That's to be expected. We have to let God be God. Just like interpersonally, there are going to be parts of, there are parts of me that Amber looks at and she's like, hmm. Like there are parts of my personality. There are ways that I think about doing things, ways that I talk, things I tweet. She's just like, "Mm, that's okay. That's normal. When people are allowed to be who they are, then we have to wrestle through these personal dynamics. And how do I deal with the fact that you don't see things the way that I do and you don't respond the way that I do? All of that is true in a marriage. All of that is true in friendships. All of that is true with uh, parents and children. It is also true when it comes to us and God. So everything we're gonna talk about over the next two weeks, everything that David says here in Psalm 23, it begins with an acknowledgement that Yahweh is my shepherd. And unless and until Yahweh is my shepherd, not God, but Yahweh, then we won't be able to experience the things that David's going to talk about here. So he goes on and he says, Yahweh is my shepherd. And I want you to focus on that word shepherd for just a minute. If God is our shepherd, you like my drawings? They're so dumb. Uh, if, if If Yahweh is our shepherd, then what does that make us? Sheep. Okay, now. You know, it's not really a compliment (laughs) to call somebody a sheep. It's not. Uh, Sheep are not smart. You realize that, right? Like, there are animals that are smart. They They have learned the ability to use tools. You ever seen, like, an otter, and he's got a rock, and he's got a little clam, he's like, smash, smash, and he gets dinner. And you're like, man, that otter is smart. You ever see monkeys, and they'll take, like, a, a long twig, and they'll dip it into an anteater nest, and they'll pull, or an anthill, rather, and they'll pull out the ants just like an anteater, and they're like, mm, and they get dinner, right? They've, they are smart. They are smart. Dolphins, man, it's crazy what dolphins can do. Sheep are none of that. <laughs> Sheep are dumb. Hey, not only are sheep not smart, but they need a herd. Do you know sheep cannot survive on their own? If there is a sheep that is all by itself, it's as good as dead. A sheep cannot survive outside of a herd. Sheep cannot defend themselves. They have teeth, but honestly, like, if a sheep bites you, you're like, hey, hey, that tickles, stop, okay? It's just like, they can't, they can't fight off predators. They cannot defend themselves. Sheep can't care for themselves. We have bred sheep in such a way that a modern sheep is incapable of living on its own without the help of a rancher or a shepherd. Did you know this? This is crazy. If a shepherd or a rancher doesn't shear sheep, if they don't cut the wool off the sheep, the sheep's wool will grow and 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 grow until they get so top heavy, the sheep just falls over and it can't do anything. It can't get up. It'll die. Like no lie. Believe it or not, just like turtles, if a sheep gets flipped over onto its back, it can get stuck that way 
and be unable to right itself without somebody else coming along and saying, you dumb sheep, and flipping it back over. There are real documented cases of like sheep that are grazing on a hillside, just a big herd of sheep. And one of them gets a little too close to the edge and maybe the, the edge of the dirt begins to crumble and give way and the sheep falls and goes over the side. And the other sheep are like, oh, follow the leader. And they go over there. Same thing happens. Like hundreds of sheep will die because they're like, oh, that, kid, that guy seems to know where he's going. <laughs> so sheep are not exactly the kings of the animal kingdom, okay? And yet, when God was reaching for an animal metaphor to use for his people, he chose sheep. Um, maybe, I don't know, like maybe all of this stuff that I've kind of just talked about when it comes to sheep, maybe that's why sheep has become such a common insult in our world today. I, I don't know if you've paid attention, but like it happens all the time, especially online, you know? It's like people will insult others by saying, well, you're just a sheep. You're a group of sheeple. You just do what you're told. You need to be led. You can't think for yourselves. I mean, it happens, like people call Christians this as if it's an insult. We're like, oh, we're the ones who gave ourselves that name, but whatever. <laughs> But like we do, right? We, we do this. We, we talk about one another and we're like, you're dumber than a sheep. It's just like, you, you need to be led. You need to be pampered. You need to be cared for. You're not strong enough to take care of yourself. You need the government or you need a husband or you need a pastor or whoever to care for you, to provide for you. It's become this insult in our world. The irony, of course, is that in the scripture, Christians are called to embrace an identity as sheep. Now I get it. I don't like it any more than you do. I'm like, I'm not a sheep. I'm a sheep dog, baby. <laughs> if I'm gonna be an animal, I'm a shark. I'm an alpha. No. I mean, like, when the scripture uses an animal metaphor, it says we are called to embrace our identities as sheep. You say, okay, well, that's Old Testament. That's like David thought of himself as a sheep, and that makes sense because he was a shepherd at some point in his life. And so, yeah. No, do you know in the New Testament, the metaphor only grows? You go read John chapter number 10. John 10 is a very important section of the scripture in our church's life in history. We take our mission statement, life overflowing from John 10, 10. There's a thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come so that people may have life overflowing. John 10, 10 is an entire sermon that Jesus gives in which he describes himself as the good shepherd and his followers as the sheep of his pasture. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Listen to me now. It doesn't matter whether you're a CEO, whether you're an influencer, whether you have a PhD after your name, it doesn't matter whether you're a famous mommy blogger, it doesn't matter whether or not you're a VP at your company, it doesn't matter if you have a lot of zeros in your bank account, it doesn't matter how we might define success here on earth. All of us who are followers of Jesus are called to think of ourselves in terms of him being the shepherd and us being the sheep. And I'll just be really direct with you here for a moment. If that rubs you the wrong way, you need to submit that to the Holy Spirit and let him deal with it. Yeah. 
I'm not saying that you have to be a doormat. I'm not saying that, you know, like you can't be successful. I'm not saying that you can never stick up for yourself or anything like that. But listen, we think of ourselves as sheep. Think about all the characteristics and qualities that I gave you about sheep a moment ago. If Jesus is the shepherd, then we look to him to be the one who provides us safety. We look to him to be the one who makes sure we have the basic necessities of life. We look to him to lead us. We look to him to protect us. We look to him to provide for us. He is the shepherd. I am his sheep. I'm not going to be the sheep of everybody else in the world, but I've definitely got a shepherd and I am proud to call myself one of his sheep. As Christians, we've got to acknowledge he's the shepherd. We're the sheep. Now, what I know is true for many Christians is that we would prefer it if those roles were reversed. We would prefer it if we were the shepherds and God was the sheep. You're like, wait, 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 what do you mean? I mean, nobody's ever going to talk about God in terms of being the sheep, but stay with me for just a moment. See, the shepherd is in control. The shepherd is in charge. The shepherd decides what and when and how and why. The sheep, on the other hand, they produce something useful, valuable for the shepherd. They produce wool and meat and sheep. Throw in some grain and brick and you got a game of Catan, okay? They produce something that's valuable. We're board game church. We produce, they produce something valuable for the shepherd. Now, listen, there are many Christians that want to be the shepherd. They want to be in charge. They want to decide when, where, how, and why. And they look to God to give them what they think is useful to accomplish their own goals. God, you exist to make sure that I have the things that I want in life. You're going to provide me with the things that I want to accomplish what I think is best. And so we get our roles reversed. And part of what this psalm calls us to do is to say, you know what? I'm a sheep and he's the shepherd. Now, if you think about David in this psalm, this is really important. Like, I think this will be helpful to you. Um, David, the guy who wrote this, uh, we tend to think that he wrote this when he was a shepherd, right? Because he talks about these agrarian and past pastoral scenes and all that sort of stuff. But the reality is he probably wrote this really late in life. So by the time he wrote Psalm 23, he had already been a shepherd a foot soldier, a general. And by the time he wrote this, he was likely the king of the entire stinking country of Israel. And yet, despite his titles, despite his accomplishments, despite his accolades, he said, I'm a sheep and he is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. And then because of those truths, because of what he had just said there in, in the first part of verse number one, he can move on and say, I have all that I need. I have all that I need. Now, it's really important here that we, as we let God be God, we let the Bible be the Bible. And we want to read this particular section and say, the Lord, Yahweh is my shepherd. Therefore, I have everything that I want, baby. God is going to give me. God is going to provide for me. God is going to take care of it. Anything I want, as long as I submit and surrender to him as my shepherd, he's going to provide it. But that's not what the text says. It's not what David says. He says, I have all that I need, not all that I want. The promise from scripture 
is that God will give you what you need. God never says he will give you everything you want. Now, here's the good news. He will give you some of what you want. But there are going to be things that God says no to. He will give you everything you need and some of the things you want. So what can we do? As, as, as sheep of his field, we can complain about the things that he's chosen to say no to, or we can celebrate all the things that we needed and some of the things that, he want, that we wanted that he chose to say yes to. You can do one of those two, and everybody has to choose which one they're going to do. And I'll just tell you, life is a whole lot better when you focus on the yeses instead of the noes. When you choose to celebrate the fact that you have a good shepherd who literally will give you everything you need. He will take care of you. You know what the scripture says in the New Testament? God has given us everything we need in order to live a godly life. In the end, you've already got or you will have by the time your days are done. You will have the things you need to live the life that God intends you to live. You're like, yeah, but I don't have this and I don't have that and I don't have them and I don't, you know, yeah, I get it. God never promised he was going to give you everything you wanted. In fact, if there are things that you are waiting on and you get to the end of your life and you never get them, what does that tell you about those things? You didn't need them. You wanted them and maybe they would have been nice, but you didn't actually need them in order to live the life that God wanted you to live. The things that you do not have right now are things that you do not need right now. You don't have a spouse? You don't need him right now. You don't have money? I don't know. Do you, get, like, do you have the basics? Like, has God taken care of the things that you need? There are people around the world that legitimately don't have what they need. And there's a conversation to be had there about what about Christians around the world who don't have everything they need? How do they interpret this particular verse? But guess what? You ain't them. You have what you need. And so the key then is to say, God, I'm going to trust you for everything I need. And if you choose to say no or not right now, then I believe that you know what's best for me. Even if I want it real bad, I'm going to trust you until you decide to say yes or no completely. He says, I have all that I need. So think about what you're really, really uh, desiring right now in life. And, and then could you say to God, all right, God, I trust you that I don't need it right now. Because if you need it and don't have it, then your life is on hold until you get it. You with me? Like if you need a spouse in order to live the life that God wants you to live, then you can't live that life until the spouse comes along. If you need a promotion, if you need healing, if you need whatever, fill in the blank there. If you need it, but God says not yet, then you can't do anything until God says yes. So we've got to, we've got to change our perspective and train ourselves to look at our lives and say, I've got everything I need. Everything I need to do what God put me on this earth to do today, I already have. No, 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 no. Some of you don't get it. You don't understand just how revolutionary what I'm saying is. Anything that God expects you to do right now, you already have the resources, the giftings, and the ability to do it. So what, what are you waiting on? You're like, oh, well, when this next milestone or checkpoint happens, then I'll be read. No, if God is calling you to do it now, you already have what you need to do it now. And if he has not given it to you yet, then it is most likely that it's not time for you to do it yet. You with me? 
David says, I have all that I need. He goes on. Verse 2, he says, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. This is like, whew, man, God, yes, please. Could you do this for me? Could you let me just rest, lay down, be peaceful? Could I, could I recuperate? Could I recharge? Could I feel like the world is not attacking me constantly? Could I feel like everything's going to be okay? Could I be in that situation? And God says, yeah, you definitely could if you realize that you're the sheep and I'm the shepherd. You definitely could if you would just chill out, let me be God for a little while. You just focus on being the sheep. You just focus on following. You just focus on being obedient. Trust me. Let me lead you to green meadows. See, what happens is most of us are like, I know where the green meadow is, and I know how to get there. It's going to take money, and it's going to take marrying the right person, and it's going to take living in the right neighborhood, and it's going to take getting this many followers online. I know where the green meadow is. God says, no, 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 no. I want to lead you to rest in a green meadow. Those green meadows you're chasing, you got to work to get them, then you got to work to keep them. God says, I want you to rest in the green meadow. I want to lead you to to be beside peaceful waters. Like, think about it like this. If a sheep is in a green meadow, what's the sheep normally doing? Eating as much as it possibly can, because the green meadow is not always going to be there. Eventually, the snow's coming, right? If a sheep is beside a peaceful stream, what's it typically doing? It's drinking. And yet in this verse, we've got a picture of a sheep that has an an endless, an unlimited supply of resources all around it, and it's comfortable just laying down and saying, you know what? I don't have to eat everything I can today because I know that tomorrow my shepherd's going to lead me to another green pasture where there'll be plenty for me to eat. I don't have to drink and drink and drink until I'm just all bloated and I can't go anywhere. Nope, I can just trust that if the Lord led me beside peaceful streams today, he'll do it again tomorrow. Yeah. It's, this, it's this abundance mentality. The abundance mentality doesn't come from like prosperity gospel and name it and claim it and all that sort of stuff. It comes from a full confidence in who your shepherd is. Yeah. I, I trust him. He's taken good care of me so far. Yeah. Why do I believe that he's going to fail me tomorrow? He leads me to rest in green meadows. This is like the heart of the gospel is that we can't. The heart of the gospel is we cannot achieve, we cannot accomplish, we cannot earn our salvation. God's love is given to us freely. His providence happens to us because he's merciful and gracious, not because we always deserve it. And so when we live this out day to day, then we learn to let go. We learn to relax. Doesn't mean you don't have goals. Doesn't mean you don't try to better your life or any of those sorts of things. But in the end, I realize there is a shepherd that is in control of which field I'm in right now. There is a shepherd that is in control of the type of stream that I'm next to. If it's a raging rapid, there's a reason he's led me there. If it's a peaceful, calm little brook, there's a reason that he's brought me there. Why? Because Yahweh is my shepherd and I trust him. He's a good one. All right, I got to keep going. I told you, I just, like, I could go on for hours, but I'm not going to. So then he flips it, verse number four, okay? 
uh, verse three rather. So he, he's talking to people who feel the need to just go and go and accomplish and achieve. And, you know, like if my life is going to be a success, then it's going to be determined by me and, you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps and all those different things. He addresses that sort of mentality in, uh, in verse number two. But then we get to verse number three and he addresses those sorts of people that say, you know what, my life is a failure and it's always going to be that way. I'm not, I'm not healthy and healed, so I can't. I don't have the resources that other people do, so I'm just going to lay here and wait for my time to run out. He says, nope, as a sheep, there are times where God's going to come along and renew my strength. You know, he's got to come and say, all right, Dan, get up, buddy. Get up. You've been wallowing there for long enough. It's time to move forward. He's got to renew our strength. He's got to remind us that the shepherd is there. He's going to take care of us. He's going to lead us in the right path. And so we can fall into our self-pity. We can fall into this woe is me victim mentality, but then we can also let the Holy Spirit renew our strength. Let the shepherd speak to us, encourage us. There are some of you guys and you've given up. You've quit. You've just, you've, you've just said, I'm depressed and there's nothing that's ever going to change. Not true. Let God renew your strength. There are some of you and your relationships are failing and you're like, well, I guess it's over. It doesn't have to be. Let God renew your strength. There are some of you and you say, well, my family's been poor and I'm poor and I'm never going to be able to like even pay basic bills. Listen, let God renew your strength. There are some of you and you've been trying to demonstrate, prove your worth and value to God. Let him renew your strength. Let him tell you it's okay to not be okay. That you can't accomplish. You can't earn. All you can do is surrender to the good shepherd. Let him renew your strength. He's going to guide you along right paths. What David says, he guides me along right paths. Sheep will not choose the right path. They'll choose right, excuse me, random paths. They'll wander and they'll go this way and that way and they'll chase after this and oh, that direction looks good and all the other sheep will follow and that's exactly what we're like a good bit of the time. Is it, you know, she's like, well, that looks good to me. And they're all headed that way. So why not? No, God will guide you along the right paths. Some people will get really, really far in life, but they're headed down the wrong path. There's some of you and you're envious of people that are so far down the trail. You're like, oh, I'm trying to catch up. I'm trying to get to my sister. I'm trying to get caught up to my best friend from elementary school. Look how much they've accomplished. Look how far. And the good shepherd is like, they're not even on the right path. (laughs) You're in a better spot because you're actually closer to the place I want you to go. He leads me. He guides me along the right paths. Who determines whether you're on the right path? It's Yahweh. It's not movies and music. Hear me now. I'm just, the rappers don't know what the right path is. (laughs) Who determines what the right path is? The church. No. Church, but we're a bunch of sheep. The shepherd determines what the right path is. So he guides me along right paths. Have you ever stopped to ask God, am I on the right path? Like not on the most successful path, not on the path to the blue check mark, not on the path to, you know, the the marriage I've always wanted, not on the path to, no. Am I on the right path? Am I on the path the shepherd wants me to be on? And then notice, he says, he leads me along. He guides me along those right paths. Why? To bring honor to his name. If, if we're just real, the majority of the time we want God to lead us along paths that are going to bring honor to our name. 
God, I believe this is going to get me seen. This is going to get me recognized. This is how people are going to value me. This is how I'm going to be validated. But David says, the shepherd leads sheep in a way that brings the shepherd honor. It takes care of the sheep. It provides for everything they need. And it brings honor to the shepherd. And so for as long as you're chasing down paths that are going to bring honor to you, they're the wrong path. Period and end of story. Pursue the paths that bring honor to the shepherd. And it just might so happen that you end up with some honor yourself. But that's a byproduct. That's, it's not a guarantee for anybody. Instead, we pursue the paths that bring honor to the name of Yahweh. Okay, then we get to verse four, like the most famous of the entire passage. This is the one that gives rise to Psalm 23 is the funeral passage. David says, I will, uh, even though I walk through the darkest valley, can I just say NLT? Come on, you guys, you don't need to improve on this. You should have just stuck with the original language here. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And what's interesting is that's literally what the Hebrew is talking about here. It's talking about a shadow. It's talking about a dark place. It it, it is talking about a shadow. So I kind of like that a little bit better. Even if I were to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Well, first things first, can a shadow hurt you? We get into the shadow of death and we're like, ah, it's all over. Every, like death is so close. It's close enough that the shadow is falling on me. My, my faith is like at the brink. It's just, it's this far from crumbling completely. Ah, my marriage is like this close to just being done. My business is this close to having to shut the doors. The shadow falls on us and we freak out. But a shadow can't hurt you. Can the shadow of a knife cut you? Can the shadow of a cheeseburger feed you? Shadows tell you something's close and nothing more. There are going to be times where death is close. There are going to be times where sickness is close. There are going to be times where depression is close. There are going to be times when loneliness is close. But as a sheep of Yahweh's sheep pen, we recognize it's close, but I trust him to take care of me. I'm not going to freak out about the shadow because I know the shadow isn't going to hurt me. He says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, even if it was the shadow of death, I would fear nothing. I won't be afraid. Why? Because what's the worst that's going to happen? I die and get promoted? No, this is what Paul says in the New Testament. You realize that, right? He says, why do you fear people that can only kill the body? Why not fear and reverence the one who could kill body and soul, but he loves you too much, he won't. Why do we live our lives afraid? If Yahweh is our shepherd, if he's been good, he will be good. We can trust him. Okay, he says, I will not be afraid. Why? This is the real reason. For you are close beside me. You're close. God is close. He's not far. He's not distant. You haven't been abandoned. He hasn't left you all alone. God is with you. It's one of the names that uh, Jesus was given, Emmanuel, God with us. He is close. You are not on your own. You have not been forgotten. No No matter how close the shadow is, God is with you. Sheep have a tendency to run away. I don't know if you know this. Like, oh man, okay, I don't have a lot of time. Uh, Yesterday, I opened the door at our our apartment downtown and our little dog took off running. 
And, uh, you know, she's done that once or twice before, and it's like, okay, no big deal. No, she took off running, and she went straight to the busiest street in our area. And I'm chasing her down the sidewalk, full-on sprint, you know what I'm saying? Just running, 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 running. And the last second, she makes a left, and she darts right into traffic. There's a car coming, goes, like that, and stops. And the little dog is like, oh, I done messed up. Turn around and ran back to me. Thank God she's okay. Now, we do the same thing. We run from God. We try to get far away from God. We run, chase after what we think is right, the right path, all those different things. And God is the one who's constantly in pursuit of us. We're not in pursuit of him. He's in pursuit of us. He's the one that's staying close. He's the one that's not letting us get away. He's the shepherd that says, listen, if you're a sheep and you try to escape and run away, I love you too much to, get, to, to let that happen. Jesus described a good shepherd this way. He says, when there are 99 in the pen and one gets loose, a good shepherd goes after the one that gets loose. So when we run, when we try to get far away from God, he is the one who ensures that we stay close to him. Like how, how do we not love him more? How, how do we not embrace our lives as sheep more? It's so good to be a sheep in Yahweh's herd. It is so good to say Yahweh is my shepherd to trust him to provide. We'll see next week he protects. It's so good to let him be the one that leads us every step of the way. In fact, every time we've tried to be the boss, every time we've tried to direct things, we've ended up worse as a result. So the call then is to say, okay, I'm gonna submit and I'm gonna surrender. I'm gonna let him be the shepherd. I'm cool with being the sheep. Sheep obey, sheep follow, sheep trust, And that's good enough for them because we have a good shepherd. Father, I just pray that you would bless the reading of your word today. Help us to submit and surrender to you as the leader, the protector, the provider in our lives. And God, I'm just praying that we would see you as our good shepherd. And like obedient sheep, God, we would follow you every single day and experience the good things that come about as a result. Just the type of life that David writes about here in Psalm 23. Make it so, God, according to your goodness, help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.